This is SMDC. Welcome to another special edition of the High Ground Podcast from U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command. I'm Ronald Bailey. Today's episode is a hybrid cool job segment and a celebration of the U.S. Army Chaplain's Corps 246th birthday later this month on July 29th. Today in the studio here at Redstone Arsenal, I'm joined by U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's Command Chaplain, Colonel Mark Frederick. Chaplain Frederick, thanks for being with us. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It, it is really a pleasure. Sir, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became an Army Chaplain? When I was about 17 years old, I had two friends, and both of those friends wanted to join the National Guard. And so we talked about us three going into the National Guard in the buddy system. And that is really what I thought I was going to do because I really didn't have any plans in high school. But my mother would not sign for me to go in early. So I've always had really a passion to go into the military. I even went to the National Guard and we had lunch there with my two friends and they tried to talk to us about becoming a soldier. So during my junior year in high school, uh, my best friend was killed in a car wreck. And it was during that phase of my life that I felt God calling me into the ministry. And so I went to college, finished at a Bible college, and then continued my schooling at uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I guess about halfway through my seminary, there was a recruiter, a chaplain recruiter that came to our seminary. And I, I really didn't talk to him. I just received some information from him about the Army chaplaincy. So I, I began to think, well, this is a, a way that I can be a soldier. This is a way that I can go into the military. And so I continued that process of investigating and trying to find out more about the military. And I went to a MEPS center and took a physical. And then I went down to San Antonio. I had, had a job there in San Antonio. And I went to Fort Sam Houston. And somehow... I was able to get into the military, and I was commissioned as a second lieutenant back in 1988. But I always had a desire and, and a passion for the military, and want, always wanted to be a soldier. But being a chaplain was, uh, you know, was a great opportunity to fulfill that passion. So, Chaplain Frederick, how does one become a chaplain? I know there are basic requirements with slight difference between the active and reserve components, including the National Guard, but essentially it requires a basic theological education for your denomination or faith tradition, such as a Master of Divinity degree, sometimes serving in a full-time capacity as a member of a denomination or faith group, kind of a prior service requirement, if you will, an ecclesiastical endorsement from your faith group, and an assortment of more typical administrative requirements that all soldiers uh, uh, face. But what happens after that? Is there a boarding process to be selected? Uh, do you become a candidate first and then are only recognized after passing some sort of an AIT or qualification course? In, in 1988, I was commissioned as an officer in the United States Army as a second lieutenant. I had not met all the qualifications to become a chaplain, and so I, I became a chaplain candidate. A chaplain candidate is, is an individual that is working toward 
becoming a full-time chaplain. Sometimes it's because they haven't finished their seminary degree. Maybe they haven't been endorsed. Maybe they don't have an endorsing agency or denomination to be able to come into the military. And some in active duty require you to have like two years of postgraduate field experience, like in a church or a hospital or a prison. So for me, I finished, I, I became a chaplain candidate during my second year in seminary. And after I finished seminary, I went to the basic course at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, the basic course for chaplains, and finished that. I wasn't ordained until later when I became a pastor of a church. So even while I was a chaplain candidate in the individual ready reserve, the IRR, I pastored a church and fulfilled all my required experience after graduation. I did join the Alabama National Guard as a first lieutenant chaplain. And when I did join the National Guard, I was a full-fledged chaplain. As a chaplain candidate, you have the opportunity to look at the Army, and the Army has a chance to look at you to see if you meet uh, the requirements of becoming a chaplain. And as a chaplain candidate, I went to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. I worked in the federal prison. I went to Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. I went to Fort Hood, Texas, and did my reserve time as a chaplain candidate. And you work under the supervision of a senior chaplain there. You can't wear the cross or the tablet or, or any emblem that describes a chaplain. But anyway, so I did the chaplain candidate program and then I finished my seminary. I was, I was endorsed by the Southern Baptist Convention as a Southern Baptist chaplain, and I, I was ordained as a minister. These are some of the requirements that are required to become a full-time chaplain. You have to have a Master of Divinity or its equivalent, and some get a Master in Counseling and other degrees that allows them to become a chaplain. Then you have to also be endorsed by your denomination. And there are hundreds of denominations and endorsing agencies, and they all have their own individual requirements. So once I met the requirements of my denomination, then they interceded for me and gave me an opportunity to serve as chaplain in the National Guard. And while I was in the National Guard, uh, I always wanted to go active duty in the Army as a chaplain, but they, at that time, they had a drawdown after the first Gulf War, and they were not bringing in new chaplains. And at that time, they had certain numbers or quotas that they wanted to fill from various denominations like Catholic, Jewish, Muslim. And for being a Baptist, we were kind of a dime a dozen. So it was hard to go active duty at that time. But then my endorsing agency called me up and said, hey, we have some slots that are available if you're interested in going active duty. I'd been pastoring a church for five years, and the church was growing. But I knew that God wanted me to be in the military as an active duty chaplain, and I did not hesitate at all when he asked me. And so that was like in 1996, and then in 1997, early 1997, I went active duty in the Army as a chaplain. For the Reserve and National Guard, it's a little bit different. Uh, you don't have to have uh, the postgraduate field experience to become a Reserve Chaplain or National Guard Chaplain. 
And they also, also you can be up to 47 years of age. The process of becoming an active duty chaplain also depends upon your endorsing agency to see if you are spiritually and mentally fit to serve as an army chaplain. And that's a very important aspect of becoming a chaplain because I have been in positions of leadership and the chaplain uh, did not have the experience or the knowledge that I would assume a new chaplain would have. And so it's very important for endorsing agencies to screen them. Also, before a person can come on active duty as a chaplain, they have to be interviewed by an 06 chaplain, a colonel. And I've done that several times, and they, they have to, to show uh, or prove to me that they have the qualifications of becoming an Army chaplain as being a team player, as being a spiritual leader. Uh, there's also that physical aspect of, that the Army requires of all soldiers, and a chaplain needs to, to be able to meet the height, weight, table, and to be able to do the physical fitness and that's very important, too. And when they go to the MEPS, of course, they, they are examined, but then they go to a unit or someplace to, to do their, their PT test, their physical training test. They have to pass that, just like any soldier. Now, Chaplain, there's another key element to the Army Chaplain Corps, I think, demonstrating that ministry is a team effort. I'm referring to soldiers who hold the Religious Affairs Specialist MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. What role do they play in supporting chaplains, and what are some of their duties and responsibilities? The team effort is key and vital to successful uh, chaplain career. Normally, they are assigned a chaplain assistant, as it was once said, but now they're called a religious affairs specialist or religious affairs NCO. That individual uh, doesn't have to have any religious background. Uh, they can actually have no religious background or any religious belief to serve as a religious affairs specialist. They have to be able to, based on the qualifications, they have to be able to type a certain amount of words per minute. Uh, they have to be able to have a, a driver's license, and they have to be able to, to bear arms and qualify with their weapon. So they are the soldier of the team in the sense of being a combatant soldier. Now, they do maintain confidentiality just like the chaplain, so that's the good part of this, this team, this unit ministry team, is that uh, you can rely on your religious affairs specialist to maintain confidentiality in times when they might need to provide pre-counseling for a soldier, and often they will take that soldier and... Uh, do some of the preliminary work of the counseling session. So it's very important as a team player that we work together because we are uh, a, a two-person team. And if, if we are in a combat situation, of course, they are protecting the chaplain, and one of their main responsibilities is either protecting the chaplain or coordinating a team to protect the chaplain as they move across the battlefield. So it's a, it's a big responsibility for them. Now, when I was in the National Guard, uh, I had a chaplain assistant that was ordained. And so he would actually perform some of the same duties as a chaplain, but it was under my supervision. 
it was not required of him, but because he was a minister, uh, he, he volunteered and, and wanted to, to do those things. I, I've had some great religious fair specialists that uh, were very uh, talented, uh, whether it's music or other talents that really contributed to our team effort in providing uh, ministry and uh, battlefield circulation for, for soldiers that we, we were assigned to. So focusing on our command just a little bit, if I could, SMDC is a global Army Service Component Command, and we have forces and units in 23 locations across 11 different time zones, many of those being forward-based or deployed. As SMDC's command chaplain, that's got to be a challenge. How do you oversee the spiritual and religious administrative needs of a team that is literally scattered across the planet? It's not like you're the fourth ID chaplain and can hop in a car and drive around Fort Carson in an afternoon and visit all your units. That is a very difficult question, and there's really no easy answer. But one of the things about being a chaplain is that we are not only assigned to one unit. In our orders when, we come, when I came to SMDC, it also says that I am to provide area coverage which means that I'm also a chaplain for all of Redstone Arsenal and even the community as a whole. So what I do as a command chaplain here at SMDC is, of course, I have a good relationship with chaplains across the globe. And I know most of those senior chaplains. And if I have uh, soldiers that are in a, an isolated area, I try to make that chaplain aware of that, hey, we got soldiers in isolated areas, and if you have an opportunity, can you visit them? Can you include them in some of your events, whether it's strong bonds or prayer breakfast? So this is all, always has worked out, but it's all, it's all about building a relationship with these senior chaplains that are across the globe in, in various countries. Uh, whether it's a brigade chaplain or a battalion chaplain, uh, that we have that's assigned to First Base Brigade. They have a lot of soldiers in small in areas, and often they are able to go and travel to these areas and provide various ministries, whether it's uh, a prayer breakfast or strong bonds events, uh, to these soldiers. But I think the key is that you have to look at, for instance, with the, the 4ID, I, mean, I have a good relationship with him. And so I'm in constant contact with him. And so uh, when I need something, I don't feel like I've got to re reintroduce myself because we already have a relationship. The same thing with Peterson Air Force Base for Building 3. Every time I go to, to Peterson Air Force Base, I spend uh, some time at the chapel talking to the Air Force chaplains and building that relationship because I know that one day they may need me or I might need them to step in and to help me out. And so it's an area coverage plan. And that's kind of how we have to, to look at it when we can't be in all places. We have to depend on other chaplains to cover down for us. I think most of our listeners in the general public understand, it makes sense, that chaplains provide religious and faith support. I think the chaplains page on Go Army website said something like uh, a chaplain's main responsibility and mission is to provide ministry worldwide in both peace and war so that units can carry out their mission. Okay, yes, 
but it's broader in scope than just religious support, isn't it? Yes, we we provide a lot of support for the soldiers here at SMDC as well as Redstone and the community as a whole. Many events, whether it's change of command, change of charter, change of responsibility, retirements, are often we are called as chaplains to provide uh, an invocation, sometimes a benediction. So this is one area that we support our community and our soldiers and civilians is doing those things that really are not religious services, but they are opportunities that uh, to, to be with those people and provide our service to them. We do, like I do, uh, suicide prevention training. The proponent of suicide is a G1. But I guess because the chaplains have, you know, had the opportunity to provide suicide awareness training many times, we were called upon to do that. And I enjoy doing that because it gives me an opportunity uh, to also be available to anyone that may have some difficulties and provide counseling to them. There's a lot of counseling that we do that is really non-religious. We do uh, sometimes professional counseling, maybe a person, a civilian or a soldier is having a difficulty in their job. Uh, we do family counseling often, uh, whether it's marriage and family, or I've, I've done children counseling, you know, people that were not even assigned to the military, I've done counseling for them. So we do a lot of counseling for soldiers and civilians that really, they may not have a religious background, but I provide that listening ear. There's also some other events that we do, whether it's in coordination with, uh, with BOSS or EO, some of the other agencies, we, we assist them and we participate with them. And it's just building a team of professionals within SMDC or other units to provide a holistic approach to caring for people and meeting their needs. So today there are a little less than 1,500 chaplains in the Army. And according to the Army, they represent six of the world's major religions, including Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, and Hindu. I also read somewhere that the Department of Defense recognizes some 220 religious and faith options. Although a chaplain such as yourself only represent the faith that endorse them, chaplains work cooperatively to provide for the free exercise of all faiths and beliefs, even if they themselves don't identify with that system. How do you accomplish that? One of the main responsibilities of an Army chaplain is to ensure that all people, soldiers and civilians, are able to exercise their freedom of religion. And even though I cannot always perform the services for them, the key is is that I help provide the service by maybe contacting another chaplain that maybe can if it's counseling, can provide counseling for that soldier or a religious service that they want to attend, uh, they might be able to provide that or, and perform it. But uh, the key is, is that even though there's a large numbers of different denominations, we look at every individual as a spiritual being. And we don't try to proselytize soldiers or civilians to join our individual denomination but we, we try to make sure that they receive the, the spiritual nourishment 
that they're looking for. And so often what we do is that we look out into the community because some of the services, some of the denominations, some of the religious needs that they have are not provided on a military installation. And so we often contact uh, outside sources uh, to help us to, to meet their spiritual need. And that's very important because we can't always perform that service for them. I can't be a Catholic priest. I can't be a rabbi. I am who I am, and I am endorsed by the Southern Baptist Convention. And because of that, I don't have to do anything that will compromise my own beliefs and my denomination. So that's unique in the fact that as a chaplain, we maintain our uniqueness. We, we maintain our denominational uh, beliefs, but we also uh, are pluralistic in the sense that we help. Uh, we have to come into the Army as a chaplain to have, to have that pluralistic mindset because we have to value and respect other religions and denominations and help them to find the spiritual needs that they have. But what if they're in a remote location and they don't have a chaplain available or a place to worship? How do you deal with that? Especially during this pandemic, uh, when often people couldn't attend a particular physical location, church or synagogue or temple, I have been able to, especially with, like, for example, a Jewish individual, I contacted the senior Jewish rabbi in the United States Army, and he was able to send me information for that soldier to be able to connect online uh, with a, a Jewish congregation. And this was very helpful, especially when they could not go to the synagogue. And that rabbi uh, was very active online to assist his uh, Jewish soldiers to meet their, their spiritual needs. Chaplain Frederick, a little more personal question this time. I think most soldiers and families know they can turn to a chaplain for guidance and support, religious or otherwise, especially in times of crisis. But where do you turn for help? Who is your sounding board when stressed or confused? I think it's very important for every person, every soldier, every civilian, to have someone that they can turn to in time of crisis or in time of personal need. I've been asked this question several times. How do you take care of yourself? Uh, where do you get the fuel to, to keep on keeping on when you're always helping someone else? And I think it's important that you build as a chaplain, uh, you surround yourself with other chaplains that, can, that you can call on, that you can discuss things with. And it's all in confidential. It's confidentiality that's important. And so you have your mentors. I have mentors that I have called on uh, many times that are senior chaplains. Most are retired now, and I still contact them. So I have a great network, I think, of people. My wife is a good sounding board. Uh, I have friends that, uh, that are not in the military, uh, that are ministers, that are pastors that I can contact, that I've, that I've had a relationship with years and years that have helped me uh, maybe to talk things through and to be able to discuss either some of the personal crises that I've, I've experienced. So it's always important for every person, I think, whether it's a chaplain or a civilian or a soldier, to have someone that they can turn to. 
and, uh, and, and to trust and to rely upon that they would give sound advice. So Chaplain Frederick, what is the most satisfying or rewarding part about being a chaplain? You know, what makes you want to get up each morning and serve as a soldier and chaplain? As we would ask for the monthly podcast segment, what makes being an Army chaplain a cool job? I believe the satisfying and rewarding part of being a chaplain is the fact that I can serve God and serve my country in this capacity. I can't imagine doing anything else, and I have been a chaplain for over 32 years now. And I've never regretted the decision to become an Army chaplain. For me, it is, it is just rewarding to know that I can wear this uniform and represent our great country, but also I can represent my God that, uh, that I love and loves me. Uh, what makes me get up in the morning is knowing that every individual is, is extremely important and valuable in itself, that in my view is that every person is created in the image of God. And because of that, every person is important. And you never know when you come to work who needs a listening ear to, to keep on keeping on. And, and how can I uh, make their life better by uh, sharing the love of God with them? Chaplain Frederick, I want to thank you so much for sitting down with us today here in the studio at Redstone Arsenal. Before I let you go, are there any sort of closing comments or thoughts you'd like to leave us with about the Chaplain Corps birthday or anything else you think is important that maybe we haven't touched on today? The Chaplain Corps has a very long history that started in July the 29th, 1775. It's actually the second oldest corps in the Army. We've had over seven Medal of Honor recipients that are chaplains. So the chaplains have stormed the beach of Normandy. They have been with the soldiers in many different combat situations, and many have lost their lives in serving our country. You can go back, you know, to World War II when the four chaplains were on the USAT Dorchester and were torpedoed by the German submarines. And these four chaplains, George Fox, Alexander Good. John Washington and Clark Poling, all of different, different denominations were on that ship. And because of the torpedo, the ship was sinking, and around 900 people were on that ship. And these four chaplains were willing to give up their own life vest to give to other individuals so that they could live. And these four chaplains died, uh, you know, for the sake of those that were with them. So I think that's kind of the mentality of a chaplain. Uh, we are not only a chaplain that represents our faith group, but we're also a, a staff officer. And so we have leadership responsibilities uh, in the role of a staff officer as well as a chaplain. So a chaplain should be a good leader, not just a minister, but also a, a staff officer. We don't have command authority. We don't bear arms but we provide a service that is unique to the Army. And we have been around since George Washington, which I think is uh, very important. So that is our heritage. Uh, it comes again after 246 years of history of the U.S. chaplaincy. And, you know, we have been in every battle. We have been in every 
situation where soldiers have put their lives on the line. And so we are really proud of our heritage. We're really proud of our legacy, and we want to continue that uh, as long as possible. This is SMDC.